Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. And with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, our creative and inclusion editor. Shannon, how are you doing? I'm doing swimmingly. How about you? Good to have you back. I think it's been a while since we've both been on the same episode. I know. It's like this is, I guess, one sign that the world is emerging from our from our little like chrysalis that we've been in for two and a half years is that we're actually starting to like go to things and get called away. Uh, but always so wonderful having a co-host like you who can tag in on everything. Uh, and speaking of wonderful people that we love having on the show, Catherine Lundstrom, sustainable, sustainability editor here at Adweek. Uh, Catherine, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. All right. We have a lot to talk to you about because this week's issue of Adweek is our sustainability issue in which we feature our sustainability stars. Uh, these are folks who in the industries we cover that we think are uh, you know, setting a good example for where we can be headed with sustainability. Uh, I wanted to start there uh, because to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of this issue is the conversations that we've been having behind the scenes for months about who should be on this. Uh, Catherine, I remember obviously in the early days we were like, okay, so if you want to talk about practical impact on sustainability, uh, there is an argument to be made that you start with the biggest emitters, the biggest polluters, that is to say, and you try to find the ones that are doing their best to cut those, uh, cut you know, cut those numbers. It's like, oh, if you're making 10 billion tons of carbon and you knock it down to 5 billion, well, that's 5 billion less carbon tons. Um, but in the end, we opted to go in a different direction. I do think that there that there is a valid argument to be made for featuring those folks. But tell us how, the kind of folks we ended up deciding that we wanted to feature and, and why. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was kind of thinking about it from this like systemic lens, right? Like, I, you know, we, we had the IPCC report come out in February and just kind of reeling from that. I was thinking about, you know, this isn't going to require just... Um, you know, cutbacks in order to address the climate crisis, it's going to take like systems change. And the jury is definitely still out on whether um, we can do that, <laughs> I think. Um, but I was kind of in thinking about who to who to kind of put on a platform for this list, I wanted to focus on the, the people that were really thinking really huge, making really radical changes to their industries, thinking about the climate crisis in, you know, with no rose-colored glasses, just looking at the actual facts and thinking, okay, we're really going to have to transform it in this way. Let's make a roadmap for that. Um, 
So, I mean, there still are a few big names on there. Um, we have Dell um, uh, for their work on e-waste. We have Google for their work um, on trying to uh, decarbonize data centers, which is going to be a crucial piece of decarbonizing the way that we live now, which is so internet-based. Um, we do have a bit of a disclaimer on the Google blurb um, that mentions kind of their impacts in other areas. And, you know, with companies that large, it's hard to it's hard to isolate one good thing because there's so many things happening simultaneously. But then, yeah, we have all these little brands. We have like Unspun, which is totally reimagining the way that that um, apparel is made and put together and finds their way, finds its way to people, um, which could cut down on um, all of the waste that comes from cutting up the pieces and sewing things together and potentially cut down on a lot of the emissions that comes from shipping. Um, and then we have some, we have like Orsted, which was an energy company that was fully fossil fuels and then completely transitioned um, to all green energy, which I think is just a really inspiring journey that they've made the center of their brand. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of, I, I'm really um, excited when I kind of look at the package that we have put together and um, all of the people that are on this list. Um, it's a, I think, an, hopefully a really, um, realistic but optimistic <laughs> view of um, where we could be headed on on climate issues. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and before we get into a few more of the names that are on there, Shannon, I'm curious to get your thoughts because I've been thinking a lot about this and, and uh, we mentioned this in a, a few times in different articles in this week's issue, is the changing buying behavior and buying behavior, right? Uh, for all of us over this pandemic, uh, we have a piece from Paul Hebert, our colleague, about uh, natural deodorants or just the trends in deodorants and the fact that online sales of deodorant, like like sales of deodorants, were basically flat, which is fascinating because I'm not gonna. I now I feel ashamed that. I'm wearing quite a bit less than I wore uh, before we were leaving the house. But apparently the overall sales did not go down. But what, what did happen is in-store sales dropped like 5% and online sales of deodorant rose like 35%. And in the course of that change, people started embracing non-aluminum, more, you know, I don't, is healthy the right term? But you know what I mean, like more natural. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. There is a connection between the way we buy and how that makes us start to think about alternatives and different stuff. So, Shannon, I'm just curious because one of the big ones uh, for me, one of the biggest changes is one that's reflected on this list. But before I, I kind of talk about that, are there any big changes you've made uh, in this past year where you're like, I'm going to start using replacing something I used to buy with something that's more sustainable? Um, absolutely. We were a big, a pretty big proponent of um, just buying a lot of water, like a lot of water bottles. So we were pretty heavy in terms of like single use plastics. We were not great about it just because we didn't have such great luck with filters. So it was just easier for us and more convenient to get you know, just huge pallets of water, which is just really messing up the environment when you look at single-use plastics. So really taking a look at, um, like, rep replenishable sources, like having just sort of, like, the 
refillable fountains and the dispensers so that we're cutting down on that, making being more active in like boiling our water and really filtering that and being more intentional. Um, But also like turning to recyclable, more easily recyclable things like liquid death, things that come in cans that are easier to recycle. Um, So we've been looking at, at our water a lot. And also I guess, well, this is not really buying power, but I guess like in terms of hair care, um, being a little bit more cognizant of the energy use. Uh, Because we would, I would blow dry my hair just because I I liked it that way. Um, But on top of like just an astronomical energy bill, it's just not really great for the environment. So looking at uh, sustainable products that allow for me to wear my hair naturally without having to blow dry it or apply heat has been really big. There's just a lot of little things that you don't realize contribute to the issue just because it's what we've always done. But now that we've sort of been in our house and we've actively seen the waste collect in our home, now it's like, okay, we need to do something about it and be more active. Yeah, I feel like so much of the issues, and we should should clarify, of course, that I think all of us are probably in agreement that the burden should not be on the consumer. You know, this is a topic right. we, we all talk about a lot. <laughs> I had a call recently with a a major international PR firm where we were talking about kind of the way that they address sustainability with clients. And I'm just like, uh, well, you can just stop making any campaigns that put the burden on the consumer. I think we're, we've all moved past that as a society. I think it's dumb and it's uh, it's it just goes against everything we've all learned in recent years about the role that that manufacturing plays and how it just dwarfs anything we can accomplish on the individual level with that very large asterisk. <laughs> I feel like, like it is possible to start making changes and like anything, it's a little stuff like we started using, um, uh, reusable napkins, right? Like old school cloth napkins, uh, mm-hmm. like 10 years ago. And we still have friends who are like, that's weird. Like, like my parents, my dad thinks it's bizarre that we use paper <laughs> he, or I mean, we use cloth and he's just like, this isn't a fancy meal. What did you get that? I'm like, we, we just wash them, man. It's fine. They're not fancy. Um, but Katie, for me, one of the biggest ones I think about is Grove. Uh, we have been subscribers to Grove for quite a while in my house. And for those who don't know, it's not like so much that you're ordering one thing. It's like its own kind of market. And you select what you want from that and what you need. You can try a product. And if you don't dig it, you can replace it with something different. Um it's and, and then they are actively trying to remove all plastics entirely from their packaging, which, of course, is a huge challenge. Uh, but it's led to some really neat dispensers and various things scattered around our house as they try out <laughs> new solutions to getting rid of plastics. Uh, tell us a bit about what you learned about Grove in the process of writing them up and why we picked them. Yeah. Um, well, I think it was Paul Hebert who initially um, nominated Grove and then it event and did the the write-up on them. I think he's been following them pretty closely for the last few years. Um, but yeah, I think their commitment to getting rid of plastic um, was kind of the reason we landed on them. Um, there are other companies doing similar things, um, but Grove seems to be gaining quite a bit of traction and their um, no plastics by 2025 commitment, especially on some of these things that are pretty complicated to do that with, I think was pretty inspiring. You you know, you think about things like, um, like a spray bottle, like so many of those little components are 
plastic and it's hard to figure out how um how to do that yeah, i think without, if you told someone like plastic. picture picture like a, a lotion dispenser with no plastic right, right. what would you or a what mascara would you even thing that's the thing that when i talk to grove sustainability officer or uh, head of sustainability um a while back i you know we were talking about this commitment to cutting all plastic and she said that beauty is going to be the hardest um for these consumer packaged goods um overall just because there's so many little dispensers and and it has to be a certain you know grade of you know material it has to be safe you know you're putting this stuff on your eyes um so yeah it's it's there are a lot of really interesting and complex challenges um that grove is is trying to address and i and i think um you know they've also done a little bit of calling like they called out png for a um new plastic bottle that they um you know debuted earlier this year i think they're really trying to position themselves as a leader in this space like look we don't have to use plastic for everything we're gonna work on solving these problems and then open source all of our you know all of our innovations which i think is a really crucial piece of this um that kind of like trying to be a leader in the space but then also like being open with um kind of the innovations that you come up with to push the industry, the whole industry um, in a better direction. There's one thing before we get back to the list, I wanted to pause because Catherine and I had some interesting conversations early on about who are the worst offenders, right? Like as categories, as as industries. And Shannon, I don't think you were in this conversation and it shocked me. So I will I will throw it to you as a pop quiz. Can you guess the number one type in terms of total volume? the number one type of pollution in the ocean? Hmm. Based on the framing, I'm going to say it's not plastics because that's the thing that's sort of been pushed from childhood that like the plastics are filling the ocean. So is it? It's, it is made of plastic. But what, what, what product is it? Like what item is it? Oh, God. Is it like, I don't know, like the, the takeout cups? Like when I'm imagining like, to go cups from like big like name Whataburger, Whataburger. <laughs> yeah. oh, Whataburger. Golden Arch. Like I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, like you know, you're. I'm thinking of like the cup my orange juice comes in when I order it from McDonald's. I could see that being an, an issue. It is cigarette butts. What they are? I didn't know they were plastic. I pictured them being paper. Like I, I don't. The filters don't, are plastic. Yeah, yeah, the filters are plastic, and there's I didn't more. Think of that. So, so the reason I bring that up is because it's interesting as we tried to find the people solving the problems like we all know that people smoke. We all know that cigarettes are gigantic brands, whatever, um, that tobacco is a huge thing. But, of course, no one talks about it. Right. Because you don't want to advertise it. You don't want to like. And so there's it reminds us that there's these huge gaps like talking about fossil fuels, of course, is very complicated these days and the role that it plays in the the gigantic role. But it, it, similarly, tobacco is another one of those. And so it was interesting is like as Catherine and I were looking at who are the biggest like offenders here that could be addressed through product innovation. I can't picture a startup being like, good news, everybody. We've we've come up with a cigarette that you, <laughs> you can save cigarette. You can smoke it every day. I mean, it'll kill you, but at least it won't ruin the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like you these are like little things that you don't 
really consider and it really just speaks to how complex this issue is like there's just waste in like every nook and cranny of our living situation like i keep going back to the interview that we did last year um with the tea drops founder sashi shandon and how just wasteful tea consumption could be when you sort of break down the components of like what the tea bag's made of the the string like you just never know where these problems are like hidden i would never i mean cigarette butts an obvious problem just because it's gross but you'd never think of it as like a serious sustainability issue all right uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're back uh, more more sustainability conversations with our sustainability editor katherine lundstrom my dad works in b2b marketing but i never really knew what that meant Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. And we are back and we are with Katie Lundstrom as we talk a little bit more about sustainability stars. I was really intrigued by this list um, just because when I think of this subject, I don't necessarily think of big conglomerates like Google or Adele to really be a part of it. But it really does speak to how we are all um, really under, getting a better understanding of how much of a global issue this is and how we all have a stake in making sure that we are just a little bit more sustainable in our choices. Um, were there any like surprises in terms of like the nomination process that you were like, oh no, there's no way that this person could work. And then you're like, oh, they're actually doing really great stuff. Does that come up often? I feel like it would for me, but you're an expert, so I don't know. I would not call myself an expert. I just talk to a lot of experts on the regular basis. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I was honestly surprised about what Google is doing um, with the, they have this like 24-7 carbon-free initiative. They're working with the UN and um, their aim is to make all of their um, data centers run on renewable energy. Uh they're far from that goal right now. Um, so I guess mm. that's the kind of, I guess you could kind of split the list into a couple of different categories. I mean, you could split it in many different ways, but there are the a few big companies that have certainly been part of the problem, right? That now are making concerted efforts to address those problems. Um, so we have a few slots like that. I think Dell is a good example. They have been... Um, involved in addressing the problem of electronics waste since the 90s. Um, So they do have a history of this, um, but what we're kind of honoring them for um, within the context of sustainability stars is um, this 
this prototype for a laptop that they created that is completely modular and you can you can take it all apart and replace different pieces of it um which totally kind of would it would allow for um it just a lot more uh, repairability when it comes to electronics which is a huge you know a huge problem that turns into e-waste right like mm -hmm. you can't when one thing breaks on your iPhone or your MacBook, you can't just swap out um, for a new piece and then keep using it. You usually end up getting rid of that and getting a new one. Um, so Dell's trying to solve that problem from that repairability um, perspective, which I think is really fascinating. Now you can't buy that laptop yet and they don't know when you'll be able to buy that laptop. So I, they're kind of in this camp that's like, big brand making really important, like doing really important work to innovate and in, to get themselves into a better place, um, but not quite there yet. It's not, it's very different from like say an unspun where they're like <clears throat> recreating the industry as they're building with their business, you know, like their business itself is the innovation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think, Anytime I think about progress, I kind of think about this, like everything has to be happening all at once. You know, like it, it's not like there's one way to solve the problem of um, climate change. It has to happen at all levels. Um, and, you know, I think there's a good reason that there are certain big brands that are not on this list. You know, like there are a lot of brands out there who honestly are just trying to like look like they're part of the fight and not actually make any big strides. I mean, Greiner was talking about earlier, um, you know, this idea that it's not really the consumer's responsibility to change the systems that, um, that big corporations are profiting from and destroying the environment in the process. It's not the consumer's like place to fix those systems. It's the, the corporations that are actually benefiting from and creating great wealth for themselves with those systems, right? Um, but I mean, next week, I happen to know that there are going to be a couple of ads coming out from major CPG brands that do put the onus on the consumer to recycle their plastic bottles. When we know that 9% of plastic that you put in the recycling bin ends up being recycled the rest of it ends up in landfill and you know i so yeah i think there's those companies <laughs> we didn't put on the list for a good reason um but there there are big players who are doing exciting things just like there are small innovators who are doing really um exciting things so hopefully this list is kind of a, a sampling of both types I mean, when we talk about sustainability, one of the things that always comes up um, is accessibility and sustainability, because a lot of these initiatives aren't necessarily accessible. You have to, I mean, talking about putting the onus on the consumer, sometimes the, the consumer doesn't have a ton of choices. It's, it's regionally decided. It's, you know, if I only have access to, if my only access to clean water is through these water bottles, that's what I'm going to do in order to make sure that my family is healthy and has access to what they need. Uh, so, you know, it's really important to have community-based initiatives that the world can then adapt. Like, so there were a couple of things that really stood out to me that I really, really loved. Um, I didn't know 
um, anything about native renewables, but we have on here um, the co-founder, Suzanne Singer, and she, you know, found a way to help her community and to help um, the Navajo community or the Navajo Nation, and it's now, like, spread so much. Can we talk a little bit more about that and just why that's so important? Yeah, yeah, I guess there is kind of this uh, this other bucket, too, of, like, um, more community-focused um companies and yeah native renewables is one of them block power is one of them electrifying buildings and then um i think gooder probably also is one of one. them too um and they're like I, I think it's really important to to include these kind of actions because when you think about the impacts of climate change the people that are going to be impacted first and worst are the people who are already losing under our current systems, right? Like people in communities that don't have access to reliable electricity already. <laughs> and then people who don't have access to food already. Um, the people, and those are often like poor communities also often end up um, you know, feeling the effects of um, environmental degradation first. They're also the ones that are enduring the most pollution related to the oil and gas industries. You know, you could go on and on and on and on about um, how these overlapping problems are affecting uh, like most the most vulnerable populations. But um, yeah, I think Suzanne Singer's work is incredible, you know, kind of totally putting, um, the power back into the community. Um, I didn't mean to make a pun there, but like, <laughs> you know, creating this renew this solar energy company to serve a need that was already desperately needed in her community. Um, you know, Don Albert doing the same thing with block power. Um, I was just um, on a call prepping for the event before this. And apparently he grew up um, in Bed-Stuy in an apartment where um, they didn't have reliable heat and they used, they opened up the oven to heat their heat their home in the winter. And um, now he's electrifying these buildings so that, um, so that energy and um, heating and air conditioning can be um, safer and more reliable and cheaper for the people in these buildings. So um, that that's really incredible. It also completely wipes out the car carbon footprint of these, these systems. Um, so yeah, that's really exciting. And then um, Jasmine Crow doing the work that she does with Gooder, um, you know, diverting food waste from landfill, which is also a massive percentage of the amount of, of, the, of the waste that goes into landfill, um, diverting that and connecting the, you know, these often, you know, big players who end up with a lot of food waste and don't know what to do with it with the people who actually need the food. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, in, in the latest IPCC report, they talked about kind of this like community focused perspective of addressing climate change. And I think that is really crucial. And I think, you know, these three um, are really representative of, of the importance of that work. 
uh, Jasmine Crow's profile is one of my favorites to read just because it's been such a prolonged issue. Like over the course of the pandemic, we've seen so many videos of big chain grocery stores, high end grocery stores, and the, the process at the end of the day when the food that they deem unsellable uh, reaches its sell by date oftentimes a really short sell-by date that like if you're like just give it another day maybe <laughs> someone will want it um it ends up in a huge huge mass of waste and they end up just throwing it away not even donating it not even handing it to their employees it literally just all goes in the trash perfectly good food mm-hmm. and then you have like big companies who have these major perks that you know, we're going to give our employees breakfast every Tuesday and we're going to have this really ornate uh, snack bar every day. And at the end of the day, they're like, who wants it? Nobody, okay, dumps it in the trash. Mm -hmm. So it's really great to see like someone say like, this is a sustained issue Mm -hmm. and there's a solution to it. We just need to like take our time, research and figure out how we can get these two people in need so that they're not going in our landfills and just accumulating more waste. So it was really cool to see someone work towards that issue when like we have all of these sort of memeified videos that are like causing all of this rightful outrage with very few solutions. Um, So yeah, this has been sort of going over the list and seeing that mix of big timers and like community-based initiatives is really good and very indicative of like how much work it's going to take to reach a solution. Um, If, what would you say to any uh, companies or any individuals who may be surprised that they weren't included there? I'm sure that there are a ton that uh, seem to be doing good work, but they, they, didn't quite make it what's kind of the next step was there a through line in the people that didn't make the list um you know there were a lot of incredible people that didn't make the list just because we were looking for brands and you know not activists Mm -hmm. or like people that kind of work in between um so there are a lot of people at all levels doing really exciting work but um I mean, I was talking with Jasmine Crow earlier, like I mentioned, and I was like, what what would you say to the big brands right now? Like, what do you want to see? And she was like, more action and like fewer words, like more action connected to all of the words that um, are, you know, floating around related to sustainability. So, I mean, I think that what we desperately need at this moment is a lot more radical thinking as far as how we're going to address this climate crisis because it's upon us and it's only going to get worse Um, and it's going to get a lot worse if we don't make some big strides like right now and um, big brands have a lot of power to make big changes now Um, so uh, yeah I mean what did they there was somebody during the last IPCC report, the UN climate report that said delay means death. And um, I think that's a pretty stark way of putting it, but, um, but they're not wrong. You know, we're already seeing the deadly impacts of climate change. And if you don't have a radical plan to um, slash your emissions and prepare your brand, your company for 
how climate change is going to change the world for your consumers and for your employees and for your business, then, um, that, then you're not sustainable. All right. Thanks again to Catherine Lundstrom for joining us. And be sure to check out our sustainability issue in print this week in Adweek. And uh, also all those articles on adweek.com. If you're a subscriber, you can get it all there. Uh, If you're not, maybe consider becoming one. Lots of great content for subscribers. Lots of free stuff, too. So you can check all that out on adweek.com. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGivney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. 